Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Loscalzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. On today's episode, I'm excited to be talking to Dr. Eric Balkavaj, and I hope I say your name right, Dr. Eric. It's close enough. Close enough. I keep wanting to call you baklava, one of those delicious desserts. Like, like I think, yeah, I think it's a dessert. It's balkavage. Balkavage. Thank you very much for correcting me. So I'm excited to have Dr. Eric here. Um, he wrote a book called The Thyroid Debacle. He's co-author of that book. And I found that book when I was doing some of my CE credits and Dr. Kelly Haldeman, his co-author, was speaking and she talked about this book and I immediately got the book and I uh, got it on Kindle and I listened to it or watched it ferociously um, on my way home from a, a flight from somewhere and lots of amazing information. So that's why I reached out to Dr. Eric. So let me tell you a little bit about him and then we're going to get started on having a conversation about thyroid. He is the owner and the founder of Rejuvenen, a functional medicine clinic in Chad's Ford, Pennsylvania. He's a functional medicine practitioner. He's board certified in integrative medicine, and he's being a licensed chiropractor. He's the co-host of a podcast called Thyroid Answers, and it's a podcast that's focused on answering pressing questions to those suffering from chronic hypothyroid symptoms who can't get answers elsewhere, which is a lot of people. So um, he also does educational Thursdays on Vimeo and YouTube, so you can catch him there. He's made it his mission to change the way medicine views thyroid, uh, because there's so much wrong with that, and I want to hit on some of that, and I've hit on some of that in our previous podcast episodes. And um, I'm excited to have him here today. So welcome, Dr. Eric. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here and taking time out. I know that, you know, writing that book was probably a big feat. Uh, lots of research in it, which is what I really love. And I love the way the book is laid out. So we can talk more about that as we go along. But it's basically what's wrong with the Western medicine approach? And then what can we do differently? Like, what's the science behind what can we do differently from a functional perspective? But what I really did like also is you put into perspective the fallacies with a lot of the allopathic medical approaches to thyroid and the, where it falls short, but also where a lot of the functional approaches fall short. I sometimes call it allopathic or green allopathy uh, because we change kind of the tools, but we still keep the same mentality. And your book covers a totally different mentality, and I absolutely love it. So let's just jump right in and get started. And starting with, why did you call your book The Thyroid Debacle? I think because we see so many people that are struggling with chronic hypothyroid signs and symptoms, and because one test is uh, within a reference range, they're told they don't, they don't have a thyroid problem or a thyroid physiology problem, you know, they just need to eat less or exercise more or they're just crazy. Um, and then we have a whole, another group of people who finally get diagnosed with hypothyroidism, get put on medications, they get, they achieve 
biochemical well-being based on trying to manipulate a lab value into range, um, but still struggle with chronic hypothyroid signs and symptoms. And their doctors, again, tell them, hey, you're just probably crazy or you're eating too much or you're not exercising enough, but you can't have a thyroid condition because we've normalized your TSH. And for some people, um, they even feel hyperthyroid at the same time they feel hypothyroid and their doctors tell them that just that, that can't happen. Um, and so what we're doing, how we're assessing thyroid physiology, uh, it's a mess. It's a debacle. So we need to change the way we look at thyroid physiology. And I think the allopathic approach, I understand what it is and why they do what they do. And they don't really have the tools like we do to address it. We still need to understand that, may, at least from my opinion, uh, what we're often seeing isn't broken physiology uh, and an immune system that's just gone totally out of control, but an adaptive response by a system that, that's sensing danger. Yeah, I love that concept because I, I, I totally agree with it. I and mean, as the more I read your book, the more I went, this guy's on the same page. We're on the same page here. And just because we determine that someone has a functioning thyroid gland, in quotes, right? It's producing the hormones. There's so much else that goes into thyroid physiology on a cellular level. And it's understanding why is it happening and going back and fixing the root cause, not just covering it up with a medication, even if the medication is it's just a hormone that the body normally would produce, bioidentical or whatever. You know, so I really appreciate that. And the other thing is the immune system, which you touched on. You know, we talk a lot about the 90% or so of people who are diagnosed with hypothyroidism actually have an autoimmune condition. But you kind of have a little bit of disagreement with that. So I want to get into that and then share with everybody. Well, I, I would agree that immune-driven thyroiditis is a is probably the major cause of hypothyroidism, at least in most of the more developed countries, that's probably the primary reason. So I don't disagree with that. I just don't like the term autoimmunity because I think it gives the people that were taking care of this context or this belief that their body's attacking them. So I think it's a terrible thing to say to somebody because, hey, if my own immune system is attacking me, how am I ever going to get better, right? I mean, that's a pretty negative response. So is it really... Um, the immune system's uh, just attacking us for no apparent reason. In medicine, they would say they call it idiopathic. We don't know why it occurs, so we don't bother looking because it could be different for everybody. So we're just going to wait until 90% of the thyroid gland is destroyed, and then we'll provide you with enough T4 to bring TSH back into range. And, you know, for somebody who doesn't have, for somebody who the only issue is the thyroid gland has been damaged and all the downstream physiology works, that may be, that may be fine to restore their physiology, but that's, that's not what I see in practice. And to be fair, I see a biased proportion of clients who are struggling, right? I don't see a lot of the people that are saying, Hey, I got diagnosed with hypothyroidism. I got put on T4. All my physiology went back to normal and I feel awesome and feel great. They just don't show up in my office, right? They don't call me for help because they feel well. So I see a biased view uh, of people that it's not working well. So that's the perspective I come from. So what is going on? If, if it's not an immune system that's out of control, 
is the immune system involved? Well, yeah, the immune system is involved. But I think really what goes on for most of us is not broken, but adapted. And what do I mean by that? The cells, we have trillions of cells in the body, trillions, lots of cells that make up a tissue and a system. And cells operate, and to keep it super simple, two modes, right? They're either in low stress, what we call homeostatic regulation, where their primary role is manufacturing. They're, they're bringing in stuff into the cell to make energy. They're bringing in glucose, they're bringing in iron, they're bringing in amino acids, they're bringing in sodium, potassium to manufacture stuff, right? And to do that manufacturing process requires a lot of thyroid hormone to drive the energy machinery to make to and to make the pro, the amino acids into peptides and proteins and do all this stuff. We need energy. And so we need a lot of T3. So we need the thyroid gland to make T4. We need that T4 to come to the cell. We need to convert that, that T4 to T3 and T3 to bind to receptors to turn on the manufacturing process. The other thing that happens when there's a lot of T3 in the cell besides turning on the manufacturing process is a piece that people don't pay a lot of attention to. And T3 also turns off genes and expression inside the cell. And one of the things that can really turn down or turn off is the cell defense mechanisms. Why, why would T3 do that? Well, if I'm in a low stress state and my primary goal is manufacturing and making stuff, I don't need to spend a lot of money on an anti-inflammatory defensive system, right? If I have a, if I have a manufacturing facility and I'm making widgets and there's no danger, I don't need a lot of security force or a fire department or whatever, right? But if there's a fire in the manufacturing process, in, company, guess what I need to do? I need to get everybody off manufacturing and everybody needs to get into defensive mode, put out the fire. You know, So the same thing happens in a cell. When cells perceive danger, and that danger could be an organism, that danger could be a toxin, that danger could be hypoxia, that danger could be emotional trauma or stress, the cell shifts its attention from manufacturing to favor cell defense. And when we do that, what do we use as the thermostat to regulate the shift? One of the th- tools we use to regulate that is the amount of T3 in the cell. If I downregulate the amount of T3 in the cell, now I slow down mitochondrial function, I do less manufacturing, and I have less T3 to turn off the cell defense mechanisms. And so now those cell defense mechanisms can kick in. And now we can release inflammatory signaling molecules, we can stiffen cell membranes, and we can actually try and protect ourselves as the cell. And so I explain that to my clients, like if those were the two scenarios, which one do you think you're probably are? I think I'm probably in that cell defense position. Absolutely. So down-regulating the conversion of T4 to T3 and those hypothyroid signs and symptoms that you experience aren't broken. That's the adaptive change. It doesn't feel good, but that's the adaptive change by the cell. And so if you get diagnosed with hypothyroidism or you have those hypothyroid signs and symptoms, but you still have a functioning gland, somebody's going to say you don't have a thyroid problem because your TSH is normal. But the TSH isn't assessing what's happening inside the cells and tissues. It's really assessing how much T4 is hitting the hypothalamus and maybe how much T3 is getting to the pituitary. But you could have a perfectly functioning gland and still have hypothyroid signs and symptoms. I mean, we all experience it. I feel tired. I feel fatigued. I have no energy. I feel lethargic, right? What is that? That's that's those cells having a short-term hypothyroid experience to deal with the threat. I mean, then we deal with the threat and it goes away, right? 
So the issue becomes more problematic when we have more chronic stress response going on. Because one of the things that cells under chronic stress will do is they're going to release signaling molecules to warn the other cells that, hey, there's a bacteria, there's a toxin, there's a virus, and it's releasing signaling chemicals to warn the other cells so they can kind of stiffen their cell membranes and and limit the access of things, but also to activate the immune system because they want the immune system to come help. And so those cells in danger release those signaling molecules. They also can release things like what we call DAMPs and PAMPs. DAMPs are damage-associated molecular proteins. So if I'm a liver cell and I release part of my liver innards, right, my my damage-associated molecular proteins, these particles that go out into the bloodstream, now the immune system goes, oh, yeah, I got to go to the liver. That's where I'm going. I got to go to the liver. We're going to the liver. If I have a bacteria or an organism that I feel threatened by and I can get a piece of that organism and throw that out into the bloodstream, now I can alert the immune system that, hey, this is the thing that you're looking for, okay? And so that's part of a normal defensive mechanism. Now, what's interesting when you look at the literature and the research is that we often think that the immune system is out of control and that the thyroid antibodies that we test for are like little Pac-Men eating away the thyroid gland. And that's really not what happens. What's doing most of the damage is what we call the infiltrating lymphocytes. So types of white blood cells are actually going into the thyroid gland and creating damage. And that's where we could say, well, it is the immune system is going in there and creating damage. It's the immune system is just out of control or... Maybe it isn't because those damps and pamps, which are those danger associated particles that are in circulation, there are receptors for those on the thyroid gland and on the thyroid cells, which is interesting because when they bind to the thyroid cells themselves can become immune-like and actually create like a self-destruct mode and release those same signaling molecules out into the bloodstream that then attracts the lymphocytes to the thyroid gland, and then we get the destruction of the gland. The antibodies are an after effect. They aren't the thing that creates all the damage. Although in functional medicine, I think most of us were under the belief that it was little Pac-Man eating away the thyroid gland. And the literature shows that thyroglobulin antibodies don't cause any damage to the thyroid gland and TPO antibodies cause very little damage, if any. So I, I look at what's going on from a thyroiditis perspective as, again, a more protective response than an immune system that's totally out of control. Because if I'm one cell and I need to downregulate my metabolism or one tissue, I do it locally. But if it becomes a chronic inflammatory global issue going on, what's the best way to reduce the metabolism? How do I downregulate the metabolism? The best way to do is to turn the thyroid hormone off at the source. And is there any, any indication that this might be a good thing to do? Well, sure. If you look in countries where there's famine and starvation, guess what they have a high incidence of? They have a higher incidence of thyroiditis and hypothyroidism. Is that bad? It's conserving. Probably not. Right. If you don't have food, right? Yeah, if you don't have food... Um, then you want a slower metabolism. You don't want a faster metabolism. And when they go into those countries and then try and fix them with medication, they found that they actually became worse. Why? Because if you put more thyroid medication into a patient to normalize the TSH when they don't have the resources to support a higher metabolism, it potentially is going to create more problems. 
when you say worse, do you mean worse in terms of their hypothyroid symptoms or worse in terms of the infections, taking control, not getting uh, put out, and other kinds of things like that? Yes and yes. Uh, there's a huge issue, in my opinion, with taking too much thyroid medication, especially T4, because we oftentimes think that T4 medication is inactive. It doesn't do anything except convert to T3. It's an inactive hormone. It has to be converted to T3. And that's not true. T4 binds to IVB3 receptors on the outside of the cell, and it can do non-genomic actions. And one of the things that T4 can do is help cells multiply. So yeah, let's say we have a whole bunch of abnormal cells in the body that don't function well. We call those abnormal cells, oftentimes we call those what? Cancer. Cancer, right? And so if we have a bunch of abnormal cells in the body, would it be a good idea to have high levels of thyroid hormone in the system, or would it be a better idea to have low levels of thyroid hormone impacting those, those cells? I would say definitely lower, especially if you're saying the T4 binds lower. to the cells and helps them to multiply. We don't want multiplication. Correct. So if you load a bunch of thyroid hormone into somebody who's hypothyroid, If they have a whole bunch of sick cells and you provide a whole bunch of T4 and it's not being converted inside the cell to T3, it's binding to the receptors on the outside of the cell, could that cause those sick cells to replicate and increase the potential for cancers? Yeah, what what an approach. What a concept. Um, Yeah, absolutely, right? Well, not only is it possible... Yeah, I swore that nobody would ever do a research study on that. And in 2019 or 2021, somebody did. They looked at all the cancers and the correlation between those people who were diagnosed with hypothyroidism and then put on medication. And the incidence of a whole bunch of cancers is much greater in those who have who've been on hypothyroid medication, wow. T4 replacement. Ah, so there is a study. There is some correlation. This is not just theoretical and looking at the science. This is looking at what's actually happening for people. You know, one thing I want to clarify, because you keep saying that the T3 is converted inside the cell, right? But we measure it in the blood. Correct. So how are we getting a good measurement of how much T4 to T3, what the ratio might be, in the blood if the conversion is more happening inside the cell? We don't have a great idea of how much is inside the cell. That's the problem. And so we've got a couple issues. One is that there was a this idea for a long period of time that T4 was made at the gland, small amount of T3, and the rest of the T3 was made by the, the, kid, the kidneys and the liver, the and maybe a little bit in the GI mm-hmm. tract, right? Um, that's not, that's not true either based on the literature. So most there's maybe five, five plus micrograms made at the thyroid gland per day, maybe five micrograms at the, at the renal system, maybe another five milligrams or micrograms at the, at the liver. And all the rest of the pool of T3 is made by cells that have the, have deiodinase 2 bringing T4 inside the cell, converting it to T3. It binds to receptors inside the cells, hangs out there for a while, and then comes back out into the bloodstream and becomes the circulating pool of T3. Okay. And it goes out back into the bloodstream, then it goes into another cell, gets used as T3, comes out of the cell, 
comes back into the bloodstream, goes into another cell, and can get it used a number of times before it's metabolized out of the body. T3 has a half-life of about 24 hours. T4 has a half-life of seven days. So T3 can be used for a while before it's metabolized. So it, what we look, what we consider is if T4 is normal, we won't even get into lab ranges yet, but if T4 is normal, but T3 is low, then we have to make a couple assumptions. One is that I'm probably not getting good conversion of T4 to T3 in the periphery. The other thing we have to consider is, do I just have a gland that's not also not making enough thyroid hormone to convert to T3? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? But you're saying if the number is normal, assuming it's normal, is probably the first part. So if it's, yeah. So if, if I, this is the, how I, and I just got done helping a, a doc with this right before. That's why I was a couple, like a minute late because somebody was calling me trying to understand why, hey, we gave them T3 and their T3 is lower than it was before. It's getting worse as I were giving them more T3. I'm like, absolutely. That's exactly what should happen. And so they didn't understand it. But um, when we think of, when we're looking at the thyroid panel, it's not, you can't just look at a thyroid panel to assess what's going on. So first thing we want to do is we can look at a thyroid panel, but all the markers matter. TSH matters. T4, mat, total T4 matters. Total T3 matters. Reverse T3 matters. Free T4, free T3, T3 uptake. They all tell a story, right? So they all matter. Thyroid antibodies may, may or may not matter depending on what, how, what we're looking at, but we, all of them tell a story. Now, depending on what your approach is, right? Maybe they're not clinically important to you. Like why wouldn't, if you're saying, if somebody might be thinking, if all those lab values are important to you, why is it, why are they not important to my allopathic physician? Right? Why do they say I only need TSH and maybe a free T4? Because they're not considering or yeah, they're not really considering the downstream mechanism so much. They're, they're working on the assumption that you don't have something that they can treat or manage until your TSH is lab high and your free T4 is lab low. And so, because the typical treatment is just to give T4 and you give enough T4 till TSH comes back into the range they want and T4 comes back into range, right? So TSH and T4 normalize. I've done my job. I've given T4. They're working under the assumption that all everything downstream from the thyroid gland itself works the way we want it to, right? That there's no cell stress going on. There's no inflammation going on. There's the perfect amount of binding globulins in circulation. Like everything works great. Life is going to be good. Somebody might say, well, why wouldn't they check T3 and free T3? And well, the, the guidelines tell the medical physicians they don't need to do or they shouldn't really do it. The other problem is what most medical doctors would find as they're driving up T4, if somebody's got an immune inflammatory process going on, that cell danger physiology going on, as they drive up their T4, reverse T3 is going up and T3 is going down. And the more they try to fix that by giving more T4 and dropping TSH, the worse the T3 levels will get because the conversion gets worse for two reasons. Okay. So typically 
in the body, if everything's working good, like about five micrograms of T3, it's made by that thyroid gland. The other 25 micrograms is made by the peripheral tissues and life is good. If the peripheral tissues are having a hard time for some reason converting T4 to T3, liver issues, inflammatory issues, gut issues, hypoxia, we can see a drop in the amount of T3 and free T3 available because the body's deactivating the T4 versus converting it. In that situation, TSH will go up. TSH will go up, yes. And the idea... Yeah, that makes sense. Right? Because the pituitary gland is monitoring how much the feedback from the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus is monitoring how much T4 is in the system. And when the hypothalamus gets T4 and says, okay, we're good, it's that T4 gets converted to T3 in the hypothalamus. When that's high, TRH is inhibited, less TRH to, to stimulate TSH, so TSH goes down. If I don't have a lot of T4 in the system, then TRH is on, TSH is turned on, and the thyroid gland is told, hey, make a bit more, make a bit more. But if there is plenty of T4, but the conversion to T3 goes down, the pituitary gland is also monitoring how much T3 is in circulation. So what we'll see in those patients is they'll start to have a rise in TSH. It may not be lab high at that point, but the TSH is starting to go up. Is that good or bad? And some people might say, well, if they have hypothyroid symptoms and their TSH is going up, then we should give them T4, even if it's not out of the range, right? So that's the argument you read in the papers, right? At what point do we get, do we wait till they're six? Do we wait till they're 10? When do we give it to? If they're hypothyroid, if they have hypothyroid signs and symptoms and they're out of that, they're above two or three, we should give them thyroid hormone. We should give them T4. No. Because what is TSH doing? And that's not an allopathic. Just to interrupt you there, that's not the way the allopathic look. That's the more functional practitioners are looking that way. Because mostly allopathic practitioners are saying, eh, it's not above five. It's not, you know, above five. We don't have to deal with this. In the, if you read the literature, you're going to see some of the allopathic physicians arguing over at what point do we give T4, right? But I think it's more of a thing in integrative or functional medicine. We would say if that TSH is over two, it's out of the optimal range, it needs to be, we need to give them something, right? And so one camp would say, hey, we'll give them T4, right, to lower TSH. The other camp would say, well, we're going to give them T4 and T3, right? Because the thyroid gland makes both of those, right? So we'll give them, we'll give them a glandular or we'll give them our, like we'll give them armor, NP thyroid, something like that. Is that a good idea? Well, if you give them the medication, right? What is going to happen to TSH? Well, the TSH will go down, but in reality, it's kind of, you know, when we talk about negative feedback loops, which is, happens throughout the body, we're also going to turn off our own production so that TSH is going to go down. Now we're ex expecting this from outside. So the thyroid glands getting the signal from the pituitary, like you don't have to do anything. And that can be a long-term right. problem. So what's in, it, yeah. So the, the issue is when we have that reduced conversion in the periphery, the, the pituitary gland is monitoring that T3 and saying, hey, we don't have enough T3 here. 
So we're going to keep that TSH higher. Normally, the T4 to T3 ratio, the production of thyroid hormone, T4 to T3 by the thyroid gland is closer to 10 to 1. But that ratio could go down to 5 to 1 when there's a low T3 state in the body. The, the thyroid gland's job in that situation is to say, hey, we made our five micrograms. The thyroid gland made its five micrograms, but the rest of the body is not doing a great job doing, their part. doing yeah. its job. So let's keep that TSH up and have that thyroid gland generate more T3 to compensate. So now instead of five micrograms, maybe it's that TSH being at two, three is helping stimulate another five or 10 micrograms that the peripheral tissue can't generate. Now, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and one question that comes from that is, so when that stimulation, the TSH goes up to stimulate the thyroid, is the thyroid making more T3 or is it converting the T4 that it made into T3? It's a great question, it's, but it, we believe it's making more T3. Now, the question becomes, how's it doing it? How does it know, right? I think that's yeah. the real key thing. How does the body know? Because I think there's a different signal that's generated based at the pituitary level. I don't think we have this figured out yet. This is me kind of saying how we don't know, but it's still TSH. So how does the same TSH signal tell the gland we need a 10 to 1 ratio and the same TSH signal telling the gland, I need a 5 to 1 or 8 to 1 ratio. Yeah. So there are different forms of T3, uh, TSH perhaps, that stimulate different, like different slight changes in the molecular structure. I've never seen anything on that, but that's what comes to my mind. That comes to my mind too. And I think it comes down to... Um, I, I don't know. This part I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read it anywhere. But I'm wondering if it is if the difference is whether the T3 is deiodinated by T2 or deiodinated by D1, D1 or D2. I don't know if that is a different signal. I don't know. I'm not sure how the body knows it, but somehow for the listener, it would be like saying, yo. Right? Yo. But if I said yo, right? Uh, it's the same word. Yeah. But it gives different a different meaning. Right? So I think there must be something there. I've been I've I've read and read and read and I don't know that we know the difference yet, but I think that that, that must be what's happening is the pituitary is be able to based on what's what are the signals between T3 and T4 in the circulation it modifies that TSH signal somehow. I don't, I don't know what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's yet. all very, very good to, I love that you're digging into this because it makes me think, oh yeah, I didn't think about it that way before. And it's not the typical, you know, you go to medical school, you learn about hypothyroidism, you go, this is what's going to happen. And when this happens, you're going to give this T4 end of story. And anybody else that says they have symptoms, even when that's normalized, they're lying, they're a hypochondriac, they have other pathology going on. And that's the biggest, most underserved population, I believe, out there. They're the ones that are getting the, the rep because nobody's dealing with it. And in allopathic medicine, 
We don't address like the cell danger response. We don't address the toxins in the system. We don't address that there might be a hidden microbial uh, interaction. We don't address the stress, the trauma, all that stuff. It's just, here's what you do, send them on their way. And I think that this is something that needs it. I agree with the debacle. When I saw the name, I'm like, the thyroid debacle. Yes, it is a debacle because these poor people are suffering needlessly because they're not given the right therapeutic approach to getting their life back, basically. And we're not looking at the picture, right? We've narrowed the picture so small. So if you say, but I am assessing thyroid physiology, it's a TSH with a reflex to free T4. But you can't assess thyroid physiology with a free T3 and a TSH, right? You can't even assess thyroid physiology appropriately with a full thyroid panel. TSH, total and, and free T4, total and free T3, reverse T3, T3 uptake, and thyroid antibodies. You still can't assess thyroid physiology. You have to go to the next step and say, okay, this is what my thyroid panel shows. Now let me go look and see if what I see is appropriate or inappropriate based on my patient signs and symptoms and based on other labs. Right, So I don't just look at a thyroid panel by itself. I look at a thyroid panel in context with at least one tissue marker. One of the easiest ones to take a look at is your just run lipids with a thyroid panel, okay? Because you're going to see is thyroid physiology working appropriately or not? Because if you don't have appropriate thyroid physiology, you're going to have a rise in cholesterol in your bloodstream and a rise in LDL typically. If you're, you may also have Depending on where somebody's at in a hypothyroid state, you might have low triglycerides and VLDL, or you may have really high triglycerides and and VLDL because there's a low T3 state. And it's really about how far they are into this process and their diet, digestion, a lot of things come into play. But just looking at a lipid panel, we we can get an idea that, hey, thyroid physiology, I know that T3 is in normal range, but it's like you were saying, how do we know what's going on inside the cell? If we're not measuring what's in the cell, we're measuring in the blood, then we have to look at the tissue indicators of thyroid status. So we can look at lipids. If they're if they're elevated, for sure, we don't have enough T3 in the tissue levels. So the argument with that, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, right? Sure. The argument yeah. would be, well, there's other things that cause lipids to go high. Is it just related to T3 in the cell. Okay. So give me the give me the argument for what's driving it up. Uh, food, uh, sugar, uh, lots of things like that. Insulin. Okay. So let's let, let's say let's say it's sugar and insulin, right? We'll start there. If I have high sugar and high insulin, why do you think I have high sugar and insulin? Could it be I just overconsume it? Maybe. But how do I get glucose into a cell? Well, we have to get the receptor binding and then we have to have all the transport you know, cofactors and it gets into the cells. All the transporters have to work, right? right. To pull it, push it in, right? Right. Get all the, th- all the trans- glucose transporters are essentially dependent on T3 to work appropriately. Yep. Whether they're insulin or not insulin dependent, they all are de- they all are T3 dependent. So, I know we say everybody it's too much too much sugar, right? And that's the problem. It creates insulin resistance. Insulin production is to a large degree driven by T3, okay? Insulin function at the cell is largely driven by T3. And so 
when we look at glucose resistance, especially in somebody who's like, hey, I don't eat a high carb diet. I eat pretty good. Why am I insulin resistant or high glucose when I don't eat a lot of carbohydrates? Well, because they have some type of cell stress that's down-regulating their transport of glucose in, down-regulating T3 in the cell, resulting in more insulin being needed to make to try and force it into cells and tissues. So you might think, well, why would a cell not want glucose? Well, you could say, well, because they don't exercise, they don't use it. Maybe, but if I have glucose, if I have a lot of glucose and I have plenty of T3, I can drive that glucose through the mitochondria with a bunch of proton leakage and I can just dissipate a lot of that food energy as heat. So I have a system to kind of work through that process to some degree. Now, can you overwhelm the process? Sure, because glucose, too much glucose creates, right. and can also create inflammation. And usually right. the high sugar foods are inflammatory right. that go with it. But when we talk about insulin resistance, this I have a beef with this With a, when we hear people say it all comes down to the too much carbohydrates and too little exercise. Well, that's nonsense because I know people who don't, who barely eat carbohydrates and exercise a lot and they're still glucose and insulin resistant. I think it comes down to other factors, including excessive cell stress. Now, why would a cell not want glucose? If there's a threat on the cell and I bring more glucose into a cell and let's say there's an organism in that cell, what's that organism going to use as fuel? more glucose, right? So why that's one of the things that happens is we stiffen cell membranes and reduce transport of nutrients into the cell under a danger physiology. What's the benefit there? Why by bringing less fuel into the cell, we upregulate autophagy, which is the cleanup crew that can then help clean up the debris, use the old stuff as energy and fuel and potentially phagotize and find the threat and get rid of it. Okay. So this is all like really good stuff. And I want to just go back to, right, I don't want to run out of time and not have our audience who are health and wellness practitioners for the most part are out there going, okay, Dr. Eric, now what? Like, how are we going to help people? We're not going to give them T3. We're not going to give them T4. We're not going to give them herbs that stimulate T3 and T4. We're not going to give them iodine. What are we going to do? What is your approach to this? I'm not saying that we shouldn't give medication if they need it, right? But if, and, and, but that becomes the assessment. It shouldn't be the first thing we jump to. We have to evaluate and assess things first. But what do we do? As unsexy as this is, we have to go back and look at their health history, their health timeline, their signs and symptoms, their diet, their behaviors, their habits, their sleep, their respiration, and start to improve those things. If we see indications of like I when I look at a new client, I want to look at that timeline, look at their health history, look at the tests they've had done. If they've got multiple markers of malabsorption, I, I'm probably going to take a look at their GI tract because I don't think that they need more micronutrients. They just need so more, just a, a, yeah. you know, double the multivitamin, right? Because uh, if they have multiple markers of malabsorption, either they're not eating a good diet, so then I, I need to fix that right? If they're not, or they're not digesting it appropriately, right? Or because of what's going on, those micronutrients are being either used for defensive purposes or or eliminated faster than they should. But the gut becomes like the the big place to start for me for a lot of people. If they have signs and symptoms, take a look for their it, for what's going on there. Then we want to take a look at the other systems that are compromised. But I you got to also take a look at 
what's their habits? Yes. Yeah. Right. What's their what's their lifestyle like? And I, that's what I heard you say out of that. What we have to go back to those basics of are they eating crap? Are they sleeping? Are they stressed to the max? Do they hold old traumas that they haven't dealt with? Do they have toxic environment? Is their liver function damaged, destroyed, slowed down because they're, you know, slathering on all kinds of harmful chemicals on their bodies and in their air? Those are like all of the basic things that need to be addressed in order to address this cellular hypothyroidism right? To get us better at the cellular level. So the cells are like, Hey, bring it on, baby. I I want more energy. Bring it on. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. I I mean, I I know it's, it's some of you say, well, everybody's got mold. Everybody's got Lyme. Everybody's got Epstein-Barr. Look, anybody could have anything, right? And so what we have to do is make sure that we don't miss the basic and fundamental things before we start jumping to the, oh my gosh, they have an organism. Because you know, and I know you, I'll have patients that have been to four Lyme specialists and they're still feel awful. And they have, you know, they've been through their third gut protocol or fourth SIBO protocol and they're still not getting better. Well, part of that is why are the bacteria in the organisms growing in the environment? Because it's probably great terrain. So what do we need to do to change the terrain? We probably need to talk about your diet, your lifestyle, your sleep, your emotions, your respiration, all these kind of foundational concepts. But man, those are things that aren't as sexy for the people to deal with. They're not sexy and people don't want to do it, right? I always say, you know, health doesn't just come in a bottle. It doesn't come in a little powdered potion in a detox formula or whatever. It comes from healthful habits. And people really want, they want to go from allopathic, here's your prescription, but oh, those prescriptions are bad. That's not good for my liver, blah, blah, blah. What do you have that's an herb? <laughs> what do you have that's you know a natural substance? And we really need to go deeper. We really need to go to root cause, which is why is that cell, all those cells in a danger response? And how do we yeah, remove I mean, that danger? We got here because of those things. So how do you undo it? You start peeling back the layers. I think, you know, I think it was the famous philosopher donkey who said to Shrek as they're walking through the field, right? Like ogres are like onions. You have to peel back the layers. And, you know, chronic people with chronic illness are like onions. We have to peel back the layers. Oftentimes we see what's on top and say, that's the thing I need to treat. Oh, they have Lyme. But didn't you have that treated a bunch of times? Maybe the Lyme is the effect. It's found a, a great place to live because of these foundational things that aren't being done well, right? So we got to go back to those things. It doesn't mean we ignore the current infections or the current issues. We need to reduce or eliminate as as much of the stressors as possible and then then support the recovery of the tissues because if you've had a 20-year problem, it's going to take time for the physiology to recover. And, you know, a lot of people want Hey, give this thing to me and I should get better right away. Like I'll use typically use the analogy. Like if somebody broke into your house and attacked your spouse and you fought them off, police arrested them. Would you go back to normal tomorrow? Like, would you be like back to cool, chilled, leave the doors unlocked tomorrow? Or would you be on edge like every night? 
right? It's everything locked, double locked, right? right? Triple locked, right? Is the security on? Is that what you'd be like that for an extended period of time? And our physiology is often like that too. Like I've been operating in this mode for so long. I, this I've, I've kind of plasticized in this way. And even though circumstances change, we still operate from that mode. And part of our job is to help get that person out of that kind of stuck physiology and get them back to get them back closer to homeostasis. And the sad part is sometimes people don't even realize they felt the same way for so long that they think it's That's normal. Normal, or I do feel good. You do. I do, I have normal bowel movements. How often do you go? Once or twice a week. That's not normal. That's how I, I've been doing that for thirty years. It's it's normal for me. No. It's common for you, but totally abnormal. Com- that's that's a really good point. The difference between common and normal. And people ask that all the time, but this is what we see. Most of my family members have this problem. Most of my, it, it doesn't matter. It's not normal. And that goes back to one last thing. And then we have to close because we have totally gotten to time and got over. But the, um, the thing you said earlier about normal labs, you said, we'll come back to that. Normal labs versus optimal labs. Even if we get people within those optimal ranges, are we still addressing the cellular problem? Oftentimes, if you're manipulating them with with medication, you're often not getting them back into normal, optimized, or homeostatic physiology. What I've seen in 30 years of doing this is that I rarely ever am trying to manipulate lab values directly. I don't prescribe, but with my clients, I'm usually like, listen, you need to le- we need to reduce the amount of medication you have. So we're doing the least amount of interference and manipulation of values. So we want to keep you safe. But if we overload the, the physiology with medication, it actually hides problems and it, can, it oftentimes makes the person worse. They become more hypothyroid. I mean, if you take more T4 than you need, you're going to cause ubiquination of the deionase 2 enzyme. You turn it off. Now you gave more T4, but why does the patient feel more hypothyroid? Because you've turned off their peripheral T4 to T3 conversion. So you don't want to do that. You want to give them the least amount possible. Yeah, but their TSH isn't optimal yet. Who cares? I, it actually aggravates me sometimes when I hear somebody say, I need to optimize their thyroid physiology before I can fix everything else. Well, what's to say their thyroid physiology isn't optimal already for the state they're in? What you probably need to do is address why it's like that. And then as you do that, guess what happens? Those lab values start to become more normal or more optimal without manipulating them directly. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great point. Great, great standpoint. I love it. I love it. I want to get back to one more thing and then we're going to close. You said earlier, giving T3 can make it worse. Absolutely. So tell us about that. So there's camps in in thyroid replacement, right? There's the T4 only camp. There's the T3 only camp. And then there's the combo camp, right? Um, But when you provide T3, when you see somebody's not converting T4 to T3, could we make an assumption that... They just have what we call a polymorphism of the deionase 2 enzyme, and that's preventing them from converting T4 to T3. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible. But 
what I would say is if you have a history of that person and you can see their T4 to T3 conversion and their T3 history on labs, and it's been normal at some point along the way, it's less about the gene. Okay. It's more about the epigenetics. The second thing is if I give T3, now I'm going to start to saturate the pituitary gland with T3, which is going to lower my TSH, which is then going to suppress thyroid gland production. So I lose the, I lose the ability for the thyroid gland to help me make more T3. And I've suppressed T4 production so the cells that were able to help convert it, I now I have less. So now I become more dependent in time on higher and higher doses of T3, especially as TSH goes down. So the people that you see typically do T3 only need to take massive doses of T3 because they are essentially relying only on the T3 that has a half-life of 24 hours. At most, right? So you got to keep taking it, yeah. right? And the body never releases 80 micrograms of T3 at any given no. point or, or, 100, or 100 or more. It's always like slow dose through the day. And so we then we have to break those, those things down and it gets harder to regulate. Now, I know there's people that say I, they feel awesome on it. That's great. I don't have a, I don't, I don't have a care. If you, I don't care what medication, what combination, what dose. If you feel and function awesome, then whatever you're doing is great. It's awesome. But what I typically see is people, they don't do well on T4 because they have a tissue hypothyroid cell danger physiology going on. They get frustrated with multiple allopathic endocrinologists. So then they go to an integrative practitioner who says, that silly allopathic physician doesn't realize that your T3 is low. So I'm going to give you T4 and T3. And the person goes through the same roller coaster merry-go-round ride for a while. The small dose of T3, I feel a little bit better. Yeah. And then they plateau. And then they get a stronger dose and stronger dose. And they, they keep chasing it. And so now they're frustrated. They're taking higher dose T4, T3 until there's now they're hyper in their brain, brain fog. They have anxiety, the anxiousness, but yet they're still gaining weight. What's going on here? My T3 levels still aren't great. Um, and then they find somebody who's going to give them high dose T3 and they, they ride that roller coaster up going higher and higher and higher and higher. And then they get to a point that that's not working either because what I think a lot of clinicians fail to remember is that if in these same inflammatory mechanisms were deactivating T4 to reverse T3. Those same enzymes are deactivating T3 to T2. T2, there is an active form of T2, but it's like having a backup generator in your house. It will run the machinery, but not but not like the like it does when we don't have that cell stress response, right? right? When your power, you can run all the power in your house, but if the power goes out, you can only really run like the heater or the hot water heater or the refrigerator. Not all of it. If you have it on the generator, but you right. can't run the whole exactly. house, right? That's a really good ex explanation. So let's um let's just come full circle and wrap it up. So for our clinicians that are listening, some allopathic moving more towards functional, some naturopaths, some health coaches, some chiropractors. There's a lot of, a lot of variation in our listeners. What steps, like if you could say, here the, here's the first three steps, five steps, whatever you should take when you're seeing somebody who says, 
you know, I've got this hypothyroidism, I have all these symptoms, the doctor, you know, whatever the situation is, I either I'm on medication or the doctor says my thyroid's fine. Like what, what can we start? What would you recommend that each of our clinicians listening starts with? Uh, step one, look at a, look at their health history for that, that time, health timeline becomes the area. How did I get here? Right. That's going to help you understand the layers that got them there <clears throat> because it's not about the thing to me in most cases, it's the load to me in most cases. Antibiotics, lots of antibiotics, marital issues. Like it's the, we just keep loading all this weight and eventually we get into danger physiology. It's not, I just got this virus and I got it. The virus was maybe the last piece of the puzzle. So look at that health history, health timeline, look at their habits and behaviors and start mapping out all the things you're going to have to address their respiration, their their emotional state, their habits, their behaviors, their yeah. diet. Realize you're going to have to address all of those things at some point. Second thing is run a comprehensive metabolic panel that includes a full thyroid panel, inflammatory markers, tissue markers like blood sugar regulation markers, including fasting insulin, run a full lipid panel, run full iron markers, run a full iron panel with ferritin, run both vitamin D so you know what's going on with vitamin D status, run your magnesium. When you say both, D2 and D3 or D uh, 25 125 and 125, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of physicians only run the 25 and not the 125. And 125 is the active form. So saying that you only need to run 25 is like saying you only need to look at T4. Okay. So it becomes really important. So that's the second thing is run a more comprehensive panel. And then three, help your patient minimize the amount of supplementation before you start anything. If they're on a lot of stuff, get rid of all the excess stuff that they think they need and get back to basics and minimize the amount of medication that they're taking so that you're not suppressing the compensation that the cells and tissues might want to do. So those would be the three big things That's to start awesome. with. So we've been talking to Dr. Eric. Say your last name again for me, Balk. Balkavage. Balkavage. I have a hard to say last name too. People botch it up all the time. And he's the author of The Thyroid Debacle. Awesome book. If you haven't read it already, definitely go. We'll put links in the show notes. And definitely want to address this level of thyroid, not just looking at the gland itself, looking at the cellular hypothyroidism, looking at what's happening to the cells. Why are those cells down-regulating the amount of T3 that's going into them? And it's going to boil down to they're going to have to change things. You're not going to just pull out your prescription pad or your herb list and say, here, take this. This is going to cure your problem. They're going to have to do some work. And they're not going to find it real sexy when they have to change their diet or, you know, do some meditations or do some specific things to lower the stress on the cellular level. And then you're going to help people to truly heal and really, truly get to the root cause. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Eric, for being here and for sharing all your great wisdom. And for all of you listening, remember, you, we all have the power to help people on a deep level when we can help them to change the things that cause them to fall through the cracks in the medical system, the things that cause them to get sick, the things that cause their cells to stop working properly. And our job is to educate them and empower them to make the changes they need to and to let them know what that really is. So for those of you who want more depth, we have a, a downloadable reinventhealthcare.com forward slash 
thyroid, you can go to our site at inemethod.com for more details on how you can learn more about how to be the practitioner of the future, because the future is now. We're not waiting for the future to be those practitioners that help people to change their diets, change their exposures, and live life to its fullest. So until next time, shine on. Thanks for listening to Reinvent Healthcare. We are part of the movement to change healthcare for the better. If you liked this episode, leave a rating and a review. And for more resources to support you in growing a thriving and fulfilling practice, visit our website at inemethod.com.